Well, good evening, everybody. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, first of all, I just want to remind everybody to uh, pray for all the empty seats. Pray for our brothers and sisters that aren't here tonight. Just remind, remember them this week to, you know, pray for them to draw them back to us as quick as possible because we miss them when they're not here, right? We just love to see them and spend time with them. Amen. Amen. Are we ready to praise and worship tonight? Yes. Come on. Come on. Amen. Amen. Well, let me read a verse and we'll pray and we'll get to doing just that. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The reason I read that verse is to remind us, brothers and sisters, that this Jesus is the reason for the season. Remember that this year. Remember that during this time and praise him. Amen? Amen. Well, if you would stand, we'll pray and we'll start some praise and worship. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for our lives and for your love and for your presence in our lives. We thank you for your just everything that you're doing for us, Lord. We just pray today, Lord, that you would just uh, cover and bless those that are away from us, draw them back to us as soon as possible. And Lord, we say a special prayer tonight for Deb's father. Lord, for that whole family, Lord, just have your hands over them and comfort them and give them peace and help them, Lord, to, to get through what they're going through right now. And Lord, tonight I just pray for uh, our brothers that are, are down with uh, COVID and many different uh, sicknesses, Lord, just uh, cover them and heal them as quick as possible as well, Lord. Bring them back to us. Lord, tonight we just uh, thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that you would put your hands over the, the praise and worship team and Lord, give them the, the strength, the courage, and the wisdom to, to help bring us into that place of sweet worship, Lord. Lord, we just thank you once again for this, this time and this ability to come together and fellowship in your name. We love you, we praise you, and we honor you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stay standing. <laughs>
Lord, we lift up your name tonight. We thank you so much. I will worship with all of my
lift him up. You are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to receive our glory, honor, and power, Lord. Let's sing it one more time.
I don't know about you guys, but I am glad that he picks me up when I fall down. That we can come to him when we feel dry and he'll fill us back up again. Lord, we thank you so much for your tender mercies. We thank you so much, Lord, for your great love. That we can sing of it, Lord, moment to moment, day by day. And one day, Lord, we'll be singing it in your very presence. And we'll be able to see you face to face. Lord, I can't even imagine what that's going to look like. But it gives us such great hope, Lord. We sing this back to you tonight. the man. 
be undignified in your presence, Lord. divine appointment Lord to meet with you thank you so much we love you and we ask this in Jesus precious and holy name all God's people said Amen. Amen you can be seated That song, You Are My All in All, um, 
while I was inside, I, I read a, a magazine called World Magazine, and they once had an article on the guy that, that wrote that. And uh, they, they were previewing a movie that you can apparently see online. And it's a very interesting story. Dennis Jernigan grew up in a small Midwest town, and he had same-sex attractions. And he went for counseling, and the pastors went after him sexually. And he, it happened over and over again. And, you know, he was a young man, and, and just a miserable story. I, I thought it would be really interesting to watch a movie, but I couldn't watch the movie, so I wrote to the place that published the movie, and they sent me a, a, a transcript so I could read the transcript of the movie while I was inside. This song <laughs> is full of hope. It is absolutely full of hope. When you think of this man's background and you think of all the trials and the tribulations and the literal hell that he went through, and he wrote this, it offers hope to every one of us because it shows us where our hope is at. Jesus is my all in all. You are the source of my strength. When I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. Psalm 60, uh, 66. Here's a response to how we deal with knowing the Lord who has done all these things. He says, Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, How awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God. Who is awesome in his deeds towards the sons of men? He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There let us rejoice in him. That song is a testimony of God's work in the man, that man's life. Let it be a testimony in each one of our lives. Let us give him praise and glory because of what he has done. We are here as a family of God to praise him, to encourage one another, to testify to one another of his mercy and his grace. Right now, we, we're going to lift up Deb and her father, and we praise God that by all accounts, he's well. God's brought him through that. We praise God that we have brothers who are sick, but they're getting through that sickness. I got a text this morning about a mom who had fallen down, and the son went over to pick, it, pick her up. Praise God that she's up. Amen? Amen. God is faithful to answer our prayers. The Red Sea looked like a... Man, it looked like it was not possible to get through. Those same-sex attractions that that man was having, 
They didn't look like they were going through the church. didn't look like it was going to help him. It just looked like it was going to fall right in there with him. But God is faithful, and he will open the seas of your trials and your tribulations. He will tear down the walls that surround you and hold you captive. We serve an awesome God. We pray to a God who delivers. Yes. Amen? Amen. Let us go to prayer and praise. Amen? Father, we come to you. We bring to you those things that burden our hearts, Father. We come to you and we lay them down before you and we cry out to you, Father. We cry out knowing that you hear us and that you answer. God, you are a powerful God and all will give you obedience on bended knee. And we do so willingly, knowing, Father, that you have answered our prayers, that you hear our prayers. Father, we think of those who have sickness with COVID. We think of those who have stomach issues. We think of, of mothers with swollen legs and with strokes. And we think of all of these things. And we just ask, Father, that you would work in each one of those. And we know that you do. And that you are working all things for good in those. We pray for the, the inner struggles that each of us has, Father. And we just ask that you would give us your wisdom to deal with them. That you would give us your strength. And that you would show us how to be the overcomers that you have created us to be. Lord God, we serve you. And we praise you for the salvation that you have given to us. We thank you that you forgive us of our trespasses. We praise you, God, for the many blessings that you have given to us this week, every day, Father. We lift up the infirmities that we have as a reminder of the fall that we live in and also the hope that you have given us of what is to come. Being in your presence, Father, and rejoicing with the myriads and myriads of those who you've brought together as a family. We thank you for our family here, Lord God, and for the family behind the walls. We thank you that you are with each one of us. You are God with us. And we just exalt you. And we ask now that you would prepare Brother Seku to bring your word to us. Prepare our hearts, Father. Mold us and make us. Break us. Bring us into your presence. And we pray these things that we might give you praise and honor and testify to a world that is struggling to understand the evil. But you, you have shown us and you have called us out and you have called us to call others to yourself. And so we just pray that you would give us the strength to do so. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.
Let me start by saying I have a question for you. <laughs> Not quite yet. <laughs> Pretty soon, though. I, um, I just want to remind you all to pray for our brothers behind the wall and for uh, those that are even out here. This time of year is rough for a lot of us, away from our families for whatever reason. Uh, families aren't contacting us for whatever reason. Whatever it is, there's things that keep us a little depressed, maybe a little sad this time of year. So pray for us. Pray for all those that, that are going through that. There are many. So not just those are brothers, but there's a lot of people in the world right now that are suffering, that, that don't have this time of year. We can look at Israel and Ukraine and different places. So just pray, pray for the world. Pray for all those that, that are in need right now. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, as we prepare to uh, get the bread of life broken by our brother Sekou, I have a question for you. <laughs> Why couldn't the frog find his car? It got towed away. <laughs> I don't get it. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I didn't get it. I'm a little lost at that one. Um, yeah, I'm lost. Well, it's been on the whole time. I turned it off. Yeah, I turned it off. <laughs> yeah, talk to whoever edits the services to mute the singing and all that stuff that happens earlier. <laughs> yeah, that's... The sad thing is I still need these in order to read it from up here. <laughs> um, well, praise God, I... I was uh, sort of invited to the lovely women's meeting on Friday after the support meeting. Um, usually I try to, you know, so that they can have the house and they can do what they need to do um, and without having to worry about whether well, there's a guy around. You know, we have to watch what we say. It's like, no, you guys should be able to say what you want to say, do what you want to do, just don't throw no wild parties because um, the dog will tell. So, you know, well, actually, she won't because she's part of the women's support group. She's a little treacherous dog. <laughs> but I got, um, I got caught with them for a little bit, and, and, and it was pleasant. It was pleasant. And you know what? I, I thank God for all the different people that make up this congregation, Eagle's Nest members, people who aren't Eagle's Nest but are affiliates, people who choose to be with us week in and week out. Um, and, and every now and again, you have a hiccup when trying to bring all these groups together, like you pointed out earlier. Um, and then when we had the women coming in the congregation, it was like, okay, how do we, we didn't even foresee this, but they've been a wonderful blessing. Um, and, and they're supporting. And so this isn't just a ministry about registered citizens and a safe place for them to worship, even though that's what we do. But it's also about the people that support, because guess what? They're going through it just like you're going through it. 
they sometimes they don't even have a voice when they go through it. So it's a blessing to hear and to to see and experience their side of it and what's going on with it and the things that they fight through that sometimes we don't even know. So when you have people that support you, keep that in mind that um, you know there, there's a lot that they go through that oftentimes they don't share, frustrations, concerns, heartburn, whatever the case may be, but they don't often get a chance to share that because usually it's to support you and what you're going through. So let's be mindful of that and be, be thankful for the people, male or female, that God brings into our lives. And you husbands... Um, don't criticize your wife's bad decisions because you're one of them. So, <laughs> that's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. But some people do get to criticizing their wives and, you know, the choices they make. And, like, you're one of them. So, yeah, you might want to keep that in mind next time. Um, let's get to work <laughs> before I get fired twice in one year. Uh, turn to... Uh, Luke, the second chapter, chapter two of Luke. And as we're getting ready to read this, I just want to ask a question. Not that kind of question. Um, raise your hand if any of these apply to you, any of these statements apply to your, your upbringing and your history. Parental, you don't have to raise your hand, because I know some people don't, especially if your parents are here, Anthony's not here, but, you know, you don't necessarily want to put your parents on blast. But just think about this. Is this relatable to you? Parental issues, family relational issues, not really fitting in, not meeting others' expectations from a poor or poorly recognized neighborhood, uh... Stained by the reputation of others. Climate of political uncertainty. Everybody should raise their hand for that one. Constant public violence. Constant or consistent reminders of warfare. We all can relate to some, if not all, of these. But we're getting ready to read about one person who is going through all of this at the same time. And we hear the statement, you're a product of your environment, your environment influences your decisions. Certainly, I have fallen victim to that. Uh, most of y'all know that I used to run this neighborhood and used to wear blue rags and wear my pants down to my knees and think that I was tough and this, that, and the other. And that was some 30-something years ago or, or, yeah, since like the early 90s. And um, it was part of the environment because I grew up in the 80s and in the 90s with this whole mentality that you're an endangered species as a young black male. And if you make it to 21, consider yourself lucky. And so guess what you do when you have that sword of Damocles hanging over your head? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. But that's just not exclusive to the black community because in the 80s, I seem to think that everybody was losing their minds with the constant threat of nuclear holocaust. Cocaine was rampant. Music lost its mind. Everybody was just living for the moment, and, and usually because you never know if you're going to get another one. We're products of our environment. We learn things from our environment, and over time, they begin to become part of our identity. But today, we're going to look at that and the fact that we don't have to be bound by that. Luke, the second chapter, verse 41 through 52, if you're there, say amen. If you're not there, 
turn faster. Um, would you all stand in honor of reading God's word? This is Jesus at the age of 12. The Bible reads, the big Bible reads, <laughs> his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days, three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We ask you to bless this time and let your spirit speak to each and every one of us. Let us hear from you. Let us grow by your word and in turn around be able to share it with others. Let us be free from bondage and walk in liberty as you have called us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus is who we're talking about. Jesus had parental issues uh, and parental drama. If you look at his past, you have, um, you know, the son of a mother without necessarily a natural father. Joseph is, far, is very aware of that. So Joseph at this point is raising Jesus as his son, what we would call nowadays as a stepson or an inherited son, an extra mouth to feed. And Jesus does have brothers. Um, he, he has other family members. And even they, you see in scripture, did not really know how to handle their brother. Um, the neighborhood that he's in is rather unremarkable. As a matter of fact, not even uh, considered remarkable. It is trash. <laughs> um, Philip, when Philip, uh, when they went to Philip to say, hey, we found the one who the Bible is talking about, Jesus of Nazareth, and his comment was what? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Yes. I want to read this thing from, from the Holman Bible because I, I was like, you know, why does Nazareth? I never really looked at Nazareth um, or Bethlehem for that matter. Bethlehem was overlooked back in those days. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Uh, Nazareth was not just overlooked. It was like, ugh. Now, keep in mind that the one who said that was a Galilean. They weren't looked at too highly. So if the ones who aren't looked at too highly are going, then you must be at the bottom of the barrel. So the Holman uh, Dictionary says, it, I'm paraphrasing a little bit and shortening it, the inhabitants of Galilee were looked upon with contempt by the people of Judea because they spoke a ruder dialect. They spoke hood. They spoke gutter. They spoke that, you know, that the thang thang language, you know, that, that patois. They, their, their language was just different 
And uh, they were less cultivated. They weren't civilized. And they were more exposed by their position in contact with the heathen. But Nazareth labored under a special contempt, for it was Galilean and not a southern Jew who asked the reproachful question whether any good thing would come from that source. The term good, uh, agathos of a good constitution or nature, having more commonly an ethical sense. Not just good, but like good nature, good for anything, good manner. Uh, it has been suggested that the inhabitants of Nazareth may have had a bad name among their neighbors for irreligion or some laxity of morals. The supposition received support from the deposition which they manifested toward the person and ministry of our Lord. When Jesus spoke in Nazareth, they attempted to kill him. They expelled him from their borders. They were so willful and unbelieving that he performed not many miracles among them. And eventually, Jesus turned his back on them. Nazareth did not have a good reputation. Galilee didn't have a good reputation. So he was hood of the hood. L.A. has a bad reputation, and then there's Compton. My brother went on a bus in Compton. Uh, he was just there recently, but a couple years ago, I'm talking to him. He's on a bus. I hear the ring. I'm like, where are you at? He's all, you know, I'm on my trip. But where are you at right now? He said, I'm on a bus. Really, what city? He says, I'm in Compton. You're in Compton. You're in Com You're not even from California, and you're riding a bus through Compton. NWA Compton. DJ Quit Compton. MCA Compton. Murder Capital Compton, Hub City Compton. We know about Compton, and you're just casually on a bus riding through Compton. Yeah, I know people. <laughs> and he does. You know, he's a DJ. He's, he's known in California. But for me, I'm just like, I don't even like L.A. I would not go through Compton unless I know somebody. And that's the reputation that Nazareth is. Hood. That's like going through Phoenix. You want to go through Camelback. You want to go through certain areas. You don't want to come down here. And then we're in the hood, those of us that live around here, and we kind of drive through the zone going, mm. <laughs> here's Jesus from Nazareth. So he has parental issues, family relational issues. He doesn't fit in. He's in a climate of political upheaval. There's military stuff going on around him. But yet, at the age of 12, which you're considered an adult, you do a bar mitzvah, they consider you an adult at 12. And before you think that's outlandish, you really should research how old Mary was when she had Jesus. But he was an adult in a sense, even though he was still responsible to his parents. He submitted himself to his parents. And as he's talking with these um, priests and with these teachers in Jerusalem, they're like, how is this kid this knowledgeable? And when his parents find him, they're like, like any of you, if you've ever lost a child, it's a very unpleasant feeling. I lost my, my little brother, uh, Scipio, in the Mall of America. Took him in a, and half a million people can fit in the mall and you wouldn't know it. You would know it. But we had 600 people get arrested in the Mall of America for a gang fight, and you didn't know it. You never even saw 600 people that would have gotten into a gang fight. It was that huge. So I took my brother somewhere, and I go in a music store, and guess what my brother does? And he's only like nine, eight, nine years old. He takes off. I'm looking at a tape. That's how old it was. Looking at a cassette tape, and next thing I know, Scipio is gone. I'm panicking. 
for those of y'all that have heard enough stories about my mother, you know she's very protective of us, and she will throw down. So, <laughs> so I'm like, I just lost mom's baby. Uh, yeah, and then you go out, and there's a sea of people. And mom was in the middle of the mall in Camp Snoopy, which is a huge amusement park in the middle of a mall. And, and it, I just eventually, after running around and sick to my stomach, said, I'm going to have to go. I don't know why I didn't go to security. I said, I'm going to have to go tell mom I lost her baby boy. I go over there, and Scipio is standing right next to mom. The, the center of the mall is like walking from here to the train tracks. And I, want, I, I understood parents at that point. When they say, I don't know whether to hug you or choke you out, I understood that. Because I wanted to hug him, and I wanted to beat him up because I was sick to my stomach. That was all of about 30 minutes. They lost him for three days. Three days. So obviously, Mary and Joseph are very frantic when they run into Jesus. And they're like, you can only tell. You could only read it. We read it very casually. But when a mother who has not seen their child for three days let alone has gone a day's journey out and found out that they're not in the caravan, by the time they see them, it's not, where have you been? It's not very civil. And Jesus' response was very civil. Why are you looking for me? <laughs> but his next response is very interesting. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? See, the whole point of his upbringing is that the, even though born of controversy and awkward parentage, being misunderstood, coming from Bethlehem, the house of bread, coming from Nazareth, the ghetto, uh, at the end of the day, he knew who he was. His identity was never in question, and he was not shaped by his surroundings. This Jesus born in a manger grew up knowing who he was without all the people around him understanding him or realizing who he was. So he didn't consider himself to say, well, in order to fit in, I got to be this or I got to be that. He says, I know who my father is. No offense to Joseph, but I know who my father is, and I know what business he has here for me to do. And so for Jesus, identity was solid. Number one, I must be about my father's business. He knew who his father was. Despite his earthly history, he held to his heavenly identity. And then he knew with the business, because of his identity, he stood strong in his purpose. At the age of 12, what about us? Man created after the fall. We really have a problem because we have a sinful, F-U-L-L, nature. And so for each and every one of us, after the fall, identity is a question. Uh, but we've learned to adapt and figure out ways in order to create an identity that makes us somebody. Because we really don't know who we are. I'm an unknown, so I establish an identity. And then I expect people to accept my identity or my title. But the problem is, is that identity can be taken, it can be changed, or it can be assigned or reassigned by other people. This isn't new, because I could quote uh, black history and Native American history about how you uproot people from their native land and try and reassign them so that they lose power because they don't know who they are. And you can still see that evident in the United States, how 
in Native American history, they try to hold fast to who they are in the face of what's going on. And black history, they're still trying to figure out. They keep reinventing themselves every single generation just to try and find an identity. And part of the problem with that is that every time you come up with an identity, there's a thing we call cultural appropriation in which that identity gets borrowed and taken by other people. So you try to create something else that makes you distinct and gives you identity. But they're not the only ones. I guarantee you everybody in this room who's an American still attaches something to their name. You're either Native American or African American or Dutch American or German American or Mexican American or whatever the case may be. But you're still holding on to something that gives you an identity so that you're not completely remade anew into something else. And then you can have people assign an identity to you, especially if you go to prison. They give you a name. Oh, you're Jimbo. Oh, you're Grumpy. You're Santa. Spiffy. So they pick names for you based on something that they see on the inside of you. You know where we got that from? Adam. Because Adam was given the responsibility to name or give an identity to all of the animals. And that's what God told him to do. All of a sudden, after the fall, though, he decided to adapt that to humans and gave his wife a name. Called her Eve, and then God stopped him before he could put an L on the end of it. That's a joke. <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> Seeing if you guys paid attention, because, you know, we ate good. But he did. He named her, but where in the Bible did he ever have permission to name humans? And we do that because we think, oh, I know who you are, so I can slap a label on you or an identity on you. And that leads to identity uh, confusion. And so then we have the other side where we try to create our own identity. My vision of who I want to be in life. I want to be a truck driver. I want to be a train engineer. I still want to be a train engineer. I want to be this, that, and the other because I think that's going to make me a valuable person. Or I'm going to create the person I want to be. But that really doesn't say, who am I? And now we have, and I don't mean to throw shade, but now we have a uh, curious phrase that has popped up in our cultural language. I identify as. Not this is who I am. I identify as. And the very nature of that is in conflict with what you are. So you have to make a distinction to say, you may see something, but let me tell you, I identify as something else. Let me move on before we get into trouble. <laughs> but now all of this, whether it's assigned or whether you are assigning yourself an identity, is all based on the fact of at our core, we really don't know what we are or who we are, and we're trying to make the best with what we got. And then we protect it. Because we fight to protect our reputation. We fight to protect our identity. We will fight you if you call me a word that doesn't associate with who I am. Call me the B word. And if we're wearing orange, I'm expected to fight you to defend my reputation. Even now you will fight to defend who you are, especially if you're in the world, because who you are is what you got. But what does our creator see us as? Because that's the only truth that matters. Amen. Luke chapter, chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. 
Luke chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. This is Jesus meeting with Zacchaeus, little Zacchaeus, short man complex Zacchaeus. Climbed a tree in order to see Jesus. But in verse 8, then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, this guy who was a tax collector, this guy who was not liked amongst his peers, there seems to be a trend here. Um, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. That's a lot. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So I don't care what you think you're going to identify yourself as, as an unbeliever, Jesus only has one term for unbelievers, and that is lost. Doesn't care about your preference, your noun preference, or your historical preference, or what you consider yourself as, or what you've made yourself out to be. If you are not saved, he considers you lost. On the Titanic, if you've watched the movie, you see a dichotomy between two mindsets as the ship is sinking. Those who are on the great big ship are lost. Those who are in the little life rafts are saved. Those who are lost are panicking, trying to figure out a way to stay alive and outrun the rats, which are trying to find a safe place on the ship. Everybody's lost their mind. They are out of character. In all actuality, they are in character. Because man pressed to the point of self-preservation is uncomposed, <laughs> to say the least. But the people on the ships are sad, but they're safe. Their demeanor is different. They have a heart for those who are on the ship, but they recognize that they are in safety. And their demeanor is different. Their mannerism is different. Their identity is different. Same thing in the world. Those who are in the world are lost unless they know Jesus Christ. And you see them on this sinking ship as things get crazier, they are losing their minds. And those of us in the church, those of us, let me rephrase that, those of us in Christ. Because you can be in the church and not be in Christ. So those of us in Christ, despite our history, our issues, and the things that we got going on, realize in our core that God has us. And so there should be, if we associate our identity with that, a relative composure as the world sinks around us, knowing that God has us covered. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, I'll read through it rather quickly. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a well-known and well-resound Sanhedrin member and Pharisee, but he comes to Jesus at night so that the rest of the people don't know. And the Bible says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, that no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Why wouldn't he say that in the Sanhedrin? But we'll move on. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter into a second time to his mother's womb and be born? 
Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Period. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. And so when we come to Christ and we are saved, that is not a natural birth. That is a spiritual birth. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And those that are in the flesh cannot please God. So when we are born again or born from above, that is not a natural birth. That is a spiritual birth, which then makes us a spiritual man, which is still clinged in a fleshly body. Unfortunately, sometimes while salvation is an instantaneous moment, we spend the rest of our days realizing what we are. That's why I don't get too upset with people when they go through nonsense. But I do get concerned when people are trapped in their old flesh identifiers. Ray and I had a conversation, Ray over there, had a conversation about uh, people claiming who they used to be, and that's part of the problem. I used to be a crip. I used to be a rapist. And so all of these different things that you claim, even though you're in Christ, you're still claiming them. Therefore, you still have an attachment to them whether you want to or not. I'm from Minnesota, so I'm associating myself with the place. Every now and again, I kind of want to go back to it. If I'm associating myself with the old man, every now and again, I kind of want to go back to it. When this turning the other cheek thing doesn't work, I know the right hook is still tight. A little too close to reality, we'll move on. <laughs> but there's another side to that which can be dangerous for us. And this will ruffle some feathers. I'm going to read this real quick and we'll move on. Colossians 3, 9 through 11 says, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Yeah, we can get that. And have put on a new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Yeah, we can get behind that too. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is in all and is all. Some of y'all are looking at me like, well, what do you mean by that? The very fact that I still am trying to bring in my old identity by location, by culture, it's one thing to hold on and, and acknowledge where you came from. It's a whole nother thing when you start to bring your culture as predominant in the church to the point of segregation. Y'all looking at me like that's Greek. White church, black church. <laughs> Should I go any further? Mexican church. I get that we deal with cultures and sometimes we work just like here. We are a church that is a safe place for registered citizens to worship. By the same token, we don't put that above the word of God. Because what is said in here, whether it's me, John, Mark, Kevin, or whoever else gets up here and speaks, or speaks on Tuesday, or Monday, or Thursday, or whatever else happens, that word is not exclusive for this church. It is the word of God, and the word of God is not bound, which means that there may be somebody in Kenya, China, Russia, you name it, who listens to the Spotify broadcast that needs to hear the word. Just like March Madness started in CACF on an SO yard, and now there's many yards and many outside ministries that have adopted that word to move on and teach other men how to be godly men. It wasn't a sex offender word. It was a word of God that was preached to sex offenders, but it's bigger than that and applicable to all men and all women everywhere. Amen. 
So we can't let our past and our culture dominate our new relationship. There is no Scythian. There is no Jew. There is no Greek. It's all in Christ. In Galatians 4, it talks about the fact that we are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now our identity is different. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. This is Galatians. To redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Next verse. And because you are sons, not you might be sons, because you are sons. How uncomfortable was it last week for some of y'all to go, I am my father's son? That's a little, some of y'all, it was the principle, but when you really sit down and look at it, no, I'm not the son of my mother. I am physically the son of my mother, Levita, and the son of my father, Curtis. But spiritually, I am adopted into the kingdom, and my father has claimed me as, my, as his son. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's a whole relationship change. And because of that, you're not just a son. You're an heir. You're an heir. You're not just, okay, you can come into the kingdom, but you're not, you know, Jesus is special, and he is. But he brought us in through adoption with him, so we are co-heirs with Christ. I read about the, uh, the uh, not the military family, the um, uh, royal family. They have some weird traditions. Weird traditions. Like if the queen stops eating, guess what you do? You stop eating. There are certain words they don't say. And so not only the queen, but all of their kids, Philip, Andrew, whoever, all the rest of them, you know, blue bloods, they all have to follow the traditions of the royal family because they're royals. Because they're royals. And so they're in public. They, the women sit a certain, I can't do it because I'll fall over, but they sit a certain way, and the guys, they have to wear certain outfits and do certain things. They don't do that because of, of being just affiliated. They do that because that's their identity. You say, well, why do you say that? Because for Christians, the more you start realizing that you're not trying to be Christian, but that you are in the family of God, it starts changing your perspective on how you look at things. If you're the son of a pauper, it doesn't matter, or a son of, you know, the hood, it doesn't matter. You go out as the hood, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you may die. But when you find out you're a royal priesthood, now you're very attentive at where you take that royal priesthood and who messes with that. When you find out that you are a son or a daughter of the king and that you are co-heirs with Christ, it changes how you work and interact with the people around you and how you treat the others. You're in the family because of his grace, and that is part of your identity, and that can't be taken from you. You're free because of this identity that you have in Christ. Jesus says in John 8, I'll just read 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. All the way back in Egypt when they were in bondage, God made them free physically. For 40 years in the wilderness, they had to figure out how to be free from Egypt psychologically. When you were saved, God made you free 
But in your mind, you are learning what that freedom is. Because every now and again, we look back towards Egypt like, you know, them leeks and melons. Yeah, but you were being beaten, you were being tortured. Yeah, but they had leeks and melons. Y'all know what leeks and melons are? Really? You want to go back to captivity because of green onions? <laughs> but we can be that silly. Well, I don't want to go back to pornography, but, you know, I'll look at a swimsuit issue. Everybody gets quiet when I go there, so I, I move on. We are defined by the truth of what God has said about us in our identity. When we start letting that identity settle in, I am my father's son, then when people come around trying to associate us with our flesh and our past and get all freaked out because we're somewhere that they just can't fathom, we're not freaked out because this is where we're supposed to be. You're trying to look at me according to the flesh, I am a new creature in Christ, and I don't know myself or you in the flesh no longer. It's funny how in prison people would try to associate you. The minute you go to the yard and you're like, yeah, you know, bless you, God bless you, and in Jesus' name, they're just like, what? I don't speak that language. Oh, you used to live in South Phoenix. Hey, man, you, you been down in that hood when they used to do uh, meth and Sunny Slope and all that. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to associate your flesh because that's what they can communicate with. But this whole, I am my father's son in Jesus' name, God bless you and all of that, to the world, that makes absolutely no sense to them. They can't talk to that. So they're looking for something they can relate to, just like the people around you on your job. Anthony, they don't understand, <laughs> they don't understand you as Christian. That makes no sense to them, but they do understand your flesh, your past, your criminal history, your color, your nationality, all of these other things. So they don't want to hear about Jesus. Yeah, I'm coming over here talking to y'all too. They don't, <laughs> they don't want to hear about Jesus. They want to hear about the gangbanger, the drug dealer, the millionaire, all of these things in your past because they can't relate to the Christ in you. And then you start telling them, no, I'm sticking to my royalty. I must be about my father's business. You're trying to associate me with something else. No, I must be about my father's business. I may work for you, but I must be about my father's business. I'm, you may give me a paycheck, but the kingdom is what takes care of me. I must be about my father's business. Even in captivity, when Jesus was going before Pilate, and Pilate said, don't you know? And what did Jesus tell him? You would have no power over me except my father gives it to you. You know what that does to a politician of Pilate's stature? Whack! <laughs> it just completely cuts the authority out from up underneath you. And that's what Jesus did. The only authority you have is because God gave it to you. The only authority your boss has over you is because God put you in that position. And when God's ready to move you, and believe me, I done been through that, when God's ready to move you, you're going to go one way or the other. That owner of the company doesn't have authority over you. God has authority over you. The owner of the company has authority over the company, and you're choosing to submit in the time that God has you there. And if you realize that, then you don't get panicked like everybody else does. No, I must be about my father's business even while I'm here. I will take care of your business, but I will be about my father's business. You're not letting the job change you. You're not letting the culture change you. 
You're not letting the surroundings change you. You're not letting your family change you. I know that's a sore subject, but you're not letting the world change you. As you move about in the world, you know who you are and what your identity is. I am my father's son. So I may work for you, but I'm still going to be about my father's business. It changes the way that you look at it when the world no longer can identify you, but you are identified by the absolute truth of the father. So you're different. I'm almost done because I know we went a little long. You're different. And we know about being different. But in 2 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Don't let the world try to communicate or provoke your flesh. Lastly, we fight because of our identity, not because of our reputation, not because of what we assigned ourselves to be. We fight because of our identity in Christ. Real quick, I'm going to read two scriptures. One of them is James 4, 6 through 10. Most of y'all should know this by memory. <coughs> Excuse me. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will do what? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Approach God, but start taking you out the picture. Start humbling yourself and start letting the you he created approach to him who created him. Because that's what God is looking for. When God saw Adam fallen, he said, Adam, where are you? Where is the I? Where is what I created? And now with this new creature, he's not looking for you to bring your reputation, your past, your history, your, 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 your I did this, I got that. He's looking for you to say, I am your creation and I am your son. I am what you have made me to be. And that is what I am drawing near towards you as. Not my reputation, not my history. And the more you start to do that, you start giving the devil less and less room to try and provoke you. Resist means to stand against. You stand on the truth of God's word like Jesus did in the mount when he was tempted. I know who I am. You're not going to tell me he's holding out on me. I know who I am. You're not going to tell me that I should be able to do this, that, and the other. I know who I am. I am my father's son, and that's what I'm standing on. And when he realizes he can't get to your flesh because you keep telling him who you are in the spirit, he says, what did, what did that devil do to Jesus during the temptation after the third try? He said the devil just left until an opportune time. And that's what he does to you and I. When we start holding fast to God and saying, look, I am your child. I shouldn't be watching this. I am your child. I shouldn't be hearing this. I am your child. I shouldn't be going through this. I am your child. I shouldn't be picking this up. I shouldn't be drinking this. I shouldn't be smoking that. I shouldn't be doing this, that, and the other. And when you start doing that, the devil's like... There's, there's nothing here to get in at. There's no angle to hook. <laughs> if I can't get you now, I'll wait. And so he lurks and waits until you have that fleshly moment. Then he's like, all right, yeah, gotcha, all right. Now, you remember, let's do this. And you say, well, what do I do? You step right back, and when you have that fleshly moment, you repent, you draw near to God, cleanse your hands, you sinners, draw on to God, pur purify your minds, you're double-minded. Get back to where you're supposed to be. 
Don't sit there and wallow in it. Oh, I'm just a miserable Christian. I just can't get right. Don't wallow in it. Go right back to the throne and say, Lord, I messed up, but this is between me and you. Help me. Fix me. Here's my heart. I am not giving the adversary an angle so that he can come in and say, yeah, now that you and God are on bad terms, let me appeal to your flesh and make you feel better. In times of personal attack, Instead of telling God who we are, we confess to God who we are. I am your son. I am your daughter. I am stressed out, but I know who I am. And so I'm coming to you. And God says, I can work with that. Because you've humbled yourself under him. And he says, let me show you what true strength is. The word stand against, anti-isteme, uh, which is funny because it reminds me of antihistamine, means to stand against. It's also used in Ephesians. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to what? Stand against. So personal attack, you learn to stand against the devil. But then when you start going on a kingdom advancement, you should already be well-developed in how to stand against. But now you're doing it because God's given you a word to go out, and you still stand in your identity. Here I am, my father's son, my father's daughter. He sent me on a mission. I must be about his business. I don't have time to start answering to the flesh. We can live openly because of a correct identity. We can stand confidently because of a correct identity. We can walk powerfully because of a correct identity. We can serve fearlessly because of a correct identity. But it starts with understanding who you are in Christ, not who you were in the world. I'll close with this. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called what? Children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall what? For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him does what? Purifies themselves. They start looking at themselves and going, this doesn't line up with what you created me to be. This doesn't line up with who you told me I am. This doesn't match with what you called me. This doesn't match with what you're doing. And so whether it's a sin or a weight, we start laying it aside because we know who we are. When I identify as, that's my work. But when my identity is, that's his work. When we walk in his work, we will see his grace fully evident in our lives as we go about our father's business. To finish with Nicodemus, I want to remind you of this Pharisee that we just read about. Was one of two people who picked up Jesus' body after he was crucified. You say, well, what's so big about that? Nicodemus was hiding from the Sanhedrin when he came to meet Jesus the first time. Went by night so that they wouldn't know he was hanging out with somebody that they did not like and thought was a threat. But when Jesus was crucified and he recognized, he aligned himself with the kingdom on Passover. For those of y'all that don't know what that means, you cannot partake of the Passover if you are unclean. 
and if you touch a dead body, you are unclean, which means Nicodemus would have to answer a lot of questions to the Sanhedrin as to why didn't you participate in the Passover? Well, because I carried a dead body to a tomb. What dead body did you carry to a tomb? Jesus. The same Nicodemus who was hiding now identified himself with the kingdom even if it was going to cost him political status with the Pharisees. What do you identify with? The world? Or do you walk in your identity in Christ Jesus? And if you struggle with that, go to God, the one who saved you through the blood of the Lamb, and be humble and tell him, Lord, I'm struggling in my mind. I am struggling in my heart. I am struggling with my faith. I am struggling with my courage. I am struggling in all these areas. I don't know what to do, but I don't want to go and try and pick up tools from an identity that is no longer mine. My identity is in you. I am your son. I am your daughter. I must be about your business. And so I'm humbling myself in front of you so that you can work your grace through my life. Don't let the devil get you to run away from the Father, but allow your situations, your problems, your concerns, your weights run you to the throne before your Father where you find grace and mercy in the time of need. You are your Father's son. You are your Father's daughter. You are royalty. And when you can walk in the identity that you have been given, you will start to see that all the things that don't line up with that, you don't want them in your life because that's not who you are. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, glorify you because this work could only be done by your decree, by your word, and by your action. You have adopted us and made us sons and daughters, and you didn't just leave us there, you made us co-heirs. You have given us an identity of royalty even when we are still walking in clothing of flesh. And so, Lord, we come to you and we ask you to constantly remind us in the face of temptation as well as in the face of success that we are your sons and daughters. And as we come to you with all the things that don't align with that identity that you have given us, we pray that you continue to give us the mercy and the grace to grow and walk, not only in the calling, but first and foremost in the identity of what you have created each and every one of us to be. As your son, born in a manger and raised in, in, in Nazareth, did not allow those humble beginnings to dictate who he was. Lord, let not our flesh dictate who we are, but let us walk confidently in your word for what you have called each and every one of us, your sons, your daughters, royal priesthood, peculiar people, a chosen generation called to show your goodness and light in the midst of darkness until you call us home. Help us to walk confidently in that truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Would you all stand? There's something going on in here, and I don't fully know what it is, and I don't need to. But I do know, don't just look at this and say, well, this word is for Chris, or this word is for Steve, or whoever else. This word is for you. 
you are your father's son, you are your father's daughter. Don't let a person, don't let the world, don't let the flesh, and don't let the devil take that away from you. Don't let your mind take that away from you. Don't let your history take that away from you. Don't let your title as a sex offender, a felon, a hood rat, or whatever the case may be, take that away from you, because that's not what your father called you. He called you his son or his daughter. And that word is not just truth, it's absolute. And you can stand fast on that truth. Don't let the world take away or try to take away what God has given. Walk in the identity that God has given you as your father's son, your father's daughter. Would you raise your hand for the benediction? Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Be as the Bereans.